Welcome to Closer to Christ, the sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. You can learn more about our ministries at stpaulmuskego.org. And now for this week's message. How many of you remember that song? 1988, Bobby McFerrin. I don't remember back then, but I know when I hear it now, if I'm in the car, my hands are kind of tapping on the steering wheel. If I'm not in the car, I kind of feel my feet doing little tip-tap on the floor. Bobby McFerrin says that we shouldn't worry because it only makes things worse. But isn't that what the Bible says? Didn't we hear Jesus three different times in our gospel today tell us, don't worry? Certainly, that is what Jesus says. But our not worrying doesn't come from a fatalistic view of life that says, whatever will be, will be, so don't worry about it. Nor does our not worrying deny that we face some pretty difficult, some pretty dangerous situations in life. So what is Scripture's teaching about worry? How do we deal with our worry without being fatalistic or reckless or just hiding our head in the sand? As we continue our He Gets Us series this morning, we're introduced to a man named Jacob, a guy who knew a thing or two about worry, and we listen to Jesus as he talks to us in the gospel, and we learn how to address the worry in our lives. In two words, don't worry. In our text today, we're introduced to two brothers, twin brothers, Esau and Jacob, who haven't seen each other for 20 years. They were as different from each other as night is from day. The younger, Jacob, was a homebody, a mama's boy. The elder, Esau, was an adventurous, outdoorsy type of guy. Jacob's approach to life was a devious one, a deceitful one. He was good at manipulating others to his own advantage. Rather than depending on God and God's power and God's promise, he relied on himself, his ingenuity, his cleverness to get what he wanted. Once, for example, when his older brother Esau came back from an afternoon of hunting, Jacob took advantage of his hunger by finagling him into giving him his birthright for a warm bowl of stew. Later on, Jacob tricked his almost blind father Isaac into giving him Esau's firstborn blessing. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Naturally, Isaac and Jacob's mother Rebekah feared for him and decided to send him away that it might give Esau time to calm down. So Jacob left home with nothing more than the staff in his hand and his shirt on his back and traveled some 350 miles to the northeast 
where he got to his uncle Laban's land, where he stayed with him and other relatives that he had never met. God used the 20 years that Jacob was with Laban to teach him patience and trust. Ironically, Laban was just as deceitful, just as devious as Jacob was, and tricked him time and again. But God was with Jacob, and God blessed Jacob. Jacob got married, Jacob had children, and he became a rich man. Finally, it was time for Jacob to go home. God came to him one day and said, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Can you imagine what mixed feelings must have filled Jacob's head when he heard God tell him to go home? Oh, he was certainly glad to get rid of his devious, his shady Uncle Laban. He was certainly happy, looking forward to seeing his parents again. But I doubt he was very enthusiastic about meeting up with his big brother Esau, who had made it clear that he wanted him dead. But I hope you caught something after God's command. I read it slow. It's God's promise. I will be with you. So, Jacob traveled the 355, 350 miles back home. That's a lot of time for him to think as he travels along with his caravan of his household and his possessions and property. I wonder how the uh, scenarios of his homecoming with Esau played out in his mind. Would Esau greet him with a handshake and a hug, welcoming him back home? Or would he feel the dagger in his back from Esau? Would Esau ambush him at the pass and destroy everything he had worked for? Uncertainty. Not knowing. Isn't that the cause for our worry? We've all been there, haven't we? Worrying because of uncertainty? What if this happens? What if that occurs? In his infinite wisdom, God has chosen not to reveal to us all the details about our future life, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't know the details of our future life. In fact, God is already there, just waiting for us to arrive. One of you a number of years ago gave me this neat little wooden plaque that on the windowsill in our kitchen, it says, I may not know what the future holds, but I do know who holds the future. That's what King David once said when he wrote, You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. What do we like to say? We like to say, if only I had known, and fill in the blank. But what then? What if we had known? What then? What would be different? How would we act any differently? Truth be told, if I had known, 
I just worry more. And that one then robbed me of the joy and satisfaction of trusting God's providential care in my life. That doesn't mean that we live recklessly or fatalistically. It doesn't mean that we throw caution to the wind and say, God will take care of it. My goodness, God gave us brains, and he wants us to use those brains. Jacob does. As he gets close to home, he sends a note to his brother Esau, and it concludes with these words, I am sending this message to my Lord that I might find favor in your eyes. Jacob doesn't want his brother to be caught off guard to be surprised by his unexpected return. Later on, he sends a whole slew of gifts to his brother, and he says, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. Jacob used his God-given brains. But when the messengers come back from Esau, they don't come empty-handed. They come bearing bad news. And that's where our text this morning picks up the story. Esau is coming with 400 men. Why would he need 400 men? The only conclusion that Jacob can draw is that he's coming to attack him. So what does he do? He uses his brains again. He divides his household, his family, his property, his possessions into two groups. That way he figures if Esau attacks one, the other will survive. Anything wrong with what Jacob does? Not at all. He's doing what we would do. He's using his brains. He's protecting the property and the possessions and the household and the family that God has entrusted to his care. Who of us would fault Jacob for doing that? After doing everything he could, Jacob does something else. Our text says, then Jacob prayed. And what did he pray? Just this. O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Where does Jacob begin his prayer? He begins by recalling who it was who told him to go home. He begins by remembering that it was the Lord, all caps, who had promised him, I will be with you. This was the same Lord, all caps, who had been with his grandfather, Abraham, who had walked with his grandfather along this same path about a hundred years before. This was the same Lord, say it with me, all caps, who had protected Abraham in the promised land. This was the same Lord, say it, all caps, who had been with his father, Isaac, 
and had blessed him in the promised land with family and children, wealth and safety. This was his Lord, say it, all caps and God. And this is our Lord, say it, all caps and God. Isn't this a powerful reminder for us that when we go to God in prayer, we pause and ponder who it is we're praying to and what he has done for us. You heard Jesus ask somewhat rhetorically in today's gospel, are you not much more valuable than they as he refers to the flowers of the field and the birds of the air? My folks, the God to whom we pray is a faithful God, a loving God, a God of the covenant, a God who promises and keeps his promises. This is our Savior God who valued us so greatly that he was willing to give us his best, his one and only, his son, Jesus Christ, to go to the cross and even hell to pay for our sins. This is the God who provides everything we need spiritually and physically. This is the God who powerfully prevails over death and the grave, promising to raise us up on the last day. This is the God who tenderly and powerfully forgives all of our sins of worry and fear and doubt and says to us, as he said to Jacob, I will be with you. This is the God who promises us not only his permanent presence, but his powerful protection and blessing. Ultimately, the God to whom we pray, the God in whom we trust and believe is the one who promises, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So Jacob then prays, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also my mo the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Jacob isn't stupid. He doesn't live in denial of what he's facing. This is a dangerous situation, and he knows it. His life and the life of so many others are on the line. But did you note what tempers his fear and relieves his worry? He looks up. He lifts his up to the God of his eyes up to the God of promise. He takes them off of himself, off of his troubles, off of what he's facing, and goes back to the promise God has made him. I will be with you. He doesn't tell God how to keep that promise. He simply trusts that God will do so. Isn't this the key to dealing with worry? That we take God at his word and promise and trust him? That's what the Apostle Paul was saying when he wrote to the Philippians and said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
And isn't this the point that the apostle was making in our first lesson today when he wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident in all, to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It always boils down to trust. Not just that God can do, but that He will do what He has promised. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, God says, and lean not on your own understanding. And may we never forget that God has not promised us a life without dangerous things, without difficult things, without painful things, without scary things. God has not promised us a life where everything's going to go just as we want it to go. No, the life that God has promised us is a life where worry is relieved when we believe that God has already given us all that we need, that there is a life after this life, a life without dangerous or difficult or painful or scary things. It's a life with Jesus, a life with our Savior, who so highly valued every one of us that he was willing to live, suffer, and die that we might enjoy that perfect life forever. Not only does Jesus get us, Jesus has us for time and for eternity. A short postscript, if I may, is a really good end to this story. God tells us in Genesis 33, Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. After dividing up his household and his possessions into two groups, he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. I'd ask for a drum roll if that were possible. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. In the very words of Jesus, don't worry. He's got it. Amen. Now the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Closer to Christ sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. Closer to Christ podcasts are from our current sermon series and are released every Monday morning. For live stream services and other ministry information, please visit us online at stpaulmuskego.org.